Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. All in the framework of the amount of time it takes for the average person to run a 5K. That's 36 minutes and 38 seconds, give or take a mile. We often go long, so get ready. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone, it has been a great summer so far in Daboomlandia. Uh, today's episode is very fitting because our guest, Elizabeth Krause, has spent the last 15 years trying to figure out how to integrate her passion, specifically fitness, into her life, specifically her business life, without sacrificing her ability to be an awesome businesswoman. Um, Elizabeth's day job is as the founder of Merge Lane, a VC fund that invests in and supports women-led businesses. The reason this is fitting is because last summer I decided that I wanted to spend six weeks up in the mountains. Um, We have a place up in Granby to enjoy my life with my family away from Boulder and skirt sports without sacrificing my ability to contribute to the company. Or in other words, I sought a way to modify my usual jam pack while still getting my job done. I'm, I'm sort of this believer in the philosophy that if you want to do something, you just got to figure out how to do it. So I decided I was going to do it. And I did for the most part, but it wasn't perfect. It was kind of messy and I definitely dropped the ball a bit. Um, And so that's why as I sit here today in my Boulder studio after returning from two weeks in the mountains, not six weeks this time, only two, um, I'm looking at my calendar and wondering why it gets so full when I'm in Boulder, but somehow When I'm in the mountains, I get almost the same amount of work done, but I also get incredibly soul-satisfying adventures when I'm up there that I don't quite get when I'm down here. Okay, I'm sure you're like, where is this going? So let's segue back to today's guest, Elizabeth Krause. Elizabeth has curated the life she wants to lead without sacrificing her quality of work, her workouts, or for the most part, her relationships. Um, She attributes much of her success in this arena to a philosophy called conscious leadership, which we're going to talk about today. At the peak of her workplay experiment, which uh, we'll talk about as well, she skied 94 days in one season. And one might think that she probably just took a big hiatus from work, but she didn't. Instead, she was insanely productive during that time. There were definitely some parts of her life that suffered, and it should also be noted that she did have the flexibility to craft a lifestyle during her experiment that was geared almost exclusively around her needs. But for the most part, she proved that it's possible to do this. 
and she figured out how to make it happen. So here's my challenge as you listen to today's episode. It's about asking yourself this question. Are you living the best life for you? And if not, what do you wish you could include that you don't already do? Um, I also want to note that after we recorded, uh, we chatted a little bit. Um, we're friends outside of the podcast. And um, she she wrote a blog that was published just last week. And it talks about how by living under the guidelines of conscious leadership, you know, as she really thought about it more and really started to integrate it, she truly believes that it has saved her five hours a day. So in a sense, you know, this, this episode is about living the life you want to live, but it's also about being able to squeeze all those things that we want into our busy lives and not have to sacrifice something that we really want to do because of other commitments. So I really encourage you to check out that blog. I'm going to include a a link to it in the show notes here. Um, Before we start, I need to give a little call out to our amazing sponsor, Skirt Sports. Uh, Many of you will listen to this episode in the first few days after it posts, so this is really timely because we have a huge summer sale going on right now through July 14th. It's actually called the end of season sale because it's this time of year when we need to make room for our new fall products, which will land soon. And I've always found it really annoying that the summer isn't even halfway over. And in the clothing world, it's already the end of season. Drives me nuts. I feel like the seasons have kind of gotten pushed back further and further, um, on, on the general calendar. So I just wish someone could make the call and do the season changeover in September instead of July, but alas, it is what it is. So that means you're going to get awesome deals on summer products while it's still summer. Go to skirtsports.com or visit us at our Boulder store. I'm usually there on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. So if you pop in, just ask if I'm there, I'll come out and say hi. All right, then, now that you have paused, which I'm sure you did, and picked up five or six awesome new things from Skirt Sports, I think it's time to get rolling. You ready to get rolling? Let's get Elizabeth Krause on the show. All right, we're doing it. We're on. I'm ready. You're here. So I was just sitting outside on my front like steps just waiting for you to drive up, and all of a sudden it was like you were two feet away, and you were like, hello. And I screamed. Didn't I scream? You did. I literally screamed. Yes. I was like, where did you come from? Oh my God. Like the street is clear. And all of a sudden you appeared out of nowhere. More people should experience Elizabeth Krause that closely in their lives. Uh, well, thank you. <laughs> I don't know. Does that mean you're like a creeper? I don't know. But maybe it's just I got into the mood. It's kind of a dark and stormy uh, afternoon out there. Oh my gosh. I've been, and this is, has nothing to do with our podcast, but did you read about like the weather pattern, I don't know, reports and what's going on in the paper this weekend? No. Well, they basically said like, because um, <laughs> I'm such an expert on 
you know, global warming, but they basically said all the ice is starting to melt in like massive record, you know, uh, rates in Greenland and it's causing this cold weather to stay longer. And then when uh, it, once it's all melted, the world's just going to get really hot. I don't great. know what on earth. Let's so on that note of negativity, <laughs> like why are we even sitting here? Let's move into something positive. Great. Let's talk about, well, let's start with what you do and how I came to know you. Do you remember when I we do first remember. met? Yes. Okay. You got to share your side of the story. Well, I'm not sure if I've ever told you this, but I got into triathlon in college and remember seeing you at, at the Boulder Peak Triathlon. So that was my first experience of you. Whoa. And I won. That was like my Ironman. I won that race four times in a row. It was like my world champs. Yeah. You're amazing. So then <laughs> I can't actually remember how we were introduced, but then I was like, whoa, I get to meet with that girl. Oh my <laughs> That's so awesome. I will probably talk about this a little bit, but I like to optimize my meeting time. So I talked you into going on a hike with me and fast friends from there. Well, yeah. I mean, I think where you are, was Mergeline, did Mergeline already exist? I think so. I think we had just started. Yeah, I think so too. So you were kind of connecting with all women in business in the Boulder, you know, Colorado area. Um, and I, what I remember is when you reached out and I was like, sure, I can meet on this date. And you were like, okay, let's hike. And I immediately was like, that's my kind of girl. <laughs> I love to combine exercise and business when I can. So actually let's talk about that for a minute because I, you know, I post sometimes like, Hey, check out what happened on my extra, you know, my hiking meeting today. And people are always like, I wish I could do that. Like, why can't people do that? And why is it important? How do how are those meetings more productive sometimes? Oh, gosh, so many ways. Well, so, you know, the reason why I wanted to be on this podcast is because, as Nicole alluded to, I uh, am the co-founder of Merge Lane. We invest in high potential startups and venture capital funds with at least one female leader. And I love my work, and I have really high professional aspirations. And I love being active and outdoors. And I've spent the last 16 years trying to figure out how to be as active as I want to be in a way that feels healthy and spacious and it's still a work in progress, but I think I've gotten pretty close to figuring that out. Oh, my gosh. I mean, because this is like this is like the magic bullet. This is like what we all want, right? The little pill that you can just take to solve everything. Um, so with, okay. So you mentioned at uh, coming into Mergeline, starting this business and wanting to maintain that other part of your life. Were you afraid that if you put too much focus on your own health and fitness, you would compromise your ability to be a strong businesswoman? Oh, hundred percent. And I and, bet I bet other people listening feel that way too. Yeah, and I was worried about what other people would think of me. But so a lot of what we do at Merge Lane is bringing conscious leadership to our portfolio, which is a toolkit and methodology to accelerate self-awareness. And as part of that, I really 
got a better feel for my patterns and became much more efficient. So I had more time, but it also sparks curiosity. And one of the things that we ask is what's the opposite of my story? So my story was that I had this habit, addiction, really, that I secretly had to uphold because it was going to hurt my business if I let it take over too much. And And so what was that habit or addiction? uh, I just, I loved working out. So, you know, very quick context, but I was one of those kids that just was outdoors all the time (laughs) and uh, never really thought about it being a workout. I was just active. And then when I got to college, I gained 40 pounds and didn't re- didn't love that. Were you still trying to work out and you were just like eating and drinking the wrong things? More or less, yeah. But I just, I had always been active, so I didn't really have to carve out time to get my workouts in. Got it. And I was drinking beer and pizza at two in the morning. Yes. Does not help. Yes, it's the tried and true story <laughs> I can also relate to. So where did you grow up? I grew up in Michigan. And when you say you were active, did you do any organized sports? Well, I danced. So I did ballet, jazz, and modern dance all through from the age of four through high school. You know, that's actually really interesting. Um, First of all, I wrote this thesis in college about the female athlete and how a female athlete was actually an oxymoron. That was my take on it in 1994. And I... Basically, it was like what it takes to be feminine or what culture tells us, you know, our society tells us feminine is, was the opposite of what it took to be a strong, fierce, competitive athlete, right? And I did a survey on my friends who did all kinds of sports, including figure skating and gymnastics, um, and ballet would be right in there, dance, because... Hmm. I wanted to see if there's a correlation between what kind of uniforms they were required to wear and their body image. Interesting. And, and it was, it did in fact show that the skimpier the uniform, and especially in sports where you were judged, um, instead of just like your time, right, or, or points, um, if you were judged, it generally tended that women in those sports had worse body image or, or more negative body image and a tougher time overcoming that. Hmm. I don't know. Is, would that have been, was your body image like super strong through those years or do you, did you experience any of that? Well, I had a fairly non-traditional ballet experience. So I had a fairly relaxed teacher. She was a great teacher, but she she wasn't as uh, obsessed about being perfect as most ballet teachers are. Got it. But I do, now that you're saying that, it's funny because I frequently remember looking at myself in the mirror when I was, I don't know, 14 or so, and thinking, am I skinnier yet? Am I skinnier yet? When in fact, those are the years that you should not be getting skinnier. Right. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Mm -hmm. And yet, in order to be a great dancer or perform well at ballet, you had to be incredibly strong and have a lot of endurance and all those things. Yeah. And, you know, I I have a love-hate relationship with the body image thing because, you know, 
the reason why I got into triathlon was because I gained 40 pounds and needed some sort of a structure to lose that. And triathlon has did some amazing things for my life. It, I got into it in college. It produced some of my best friendships. I learned all sorts of lessons from that experience. Um, but it got to the point that it was too much. And it's funny how, you know, people come into your lives at certain times for unexpected reasons. And one of your former guests, Diane Israel. Oh my gosh. Yeah. She came and talked to our triathlon team. So I went to University of Colorado and uh, you could join the triathlon team right. even if you were a terrible athlete. Okay. So, so one of the... <laughs> That's great. It was inclusive. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, one of my unique perspectives is that I'm not a natural athlete. I actually came in dead last in every single event from first through 12th grade field day. Oh, my gosh. So wait, is this the story you've told yourself or is this kind of no, the truth? No, this is true. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> Yeah, very true. And I did dance all through that time, but I was a very mediocre dancer. I was better at dancing than track and field. Yeah. But I liked running. I liked swimming. I grew up on a lake, so that kind of fostered that. Um, So joined this triathlon club that had both some of the most elite athletes in the country and me, who took, you know... uh, long time to finish a triathlon oh my gosh I love it but what about it then kept you going when often people keep going and pursuing something when they feel they're good at it or there's some success you know associated with it what made you made you keep going when it wasn't necessarily for those reasons well I figured out that I loved working out You know, before when I had done athletic stuff, it was stuff in gym class, uh, beyond dance. Anything that was sort of endurance sport related was in gym class, which was stuff that honestly my body wasn't strong enough to do. My body just wasn't built to do it. And so it always felt really hard. And that's something I really had to learn through all of my athletic stuff is how to get myself to the point that I can get stronger and and while feeling good. Um, And so I found that in triathlon, I figured out that I was, I, I'm much better with endurance than speed. So I'm never going to be the fastest person. It's just kind of the way I'm built, but I can go forever. Um, But, but what happened is I built up my endurance so much and it was like a drug, like, oh, if I, I, now I've gone, ran 10 miles, let's see if I can run 11 miles. Mm -hmm. And I, like I said, got into triathlon because I wanted to lose 40 pounds. And so I knew like, oh, if I run one more mile, that's 200 more calories that I can eat. Right. And Diane Israel, circling back to that, one of your uh, Mm -hmm. former guests. Amazing woman. Came and talked to our team at this pivotal moment for me about her exercise bulimia it's like oh I had never really thought that this was bulimia but it is wow so did you end up working with her I didn't but always has held a special place in my heart because it just you know really sometimes just being aware that something 
exists. Yeah. <laughs> it helps you change your behavior. So I'm kind of like hearing you say you have somewhat of an addictive type of personality. I think somewhat might be an <laughs> understatement. <laughs> well, and I mean, you got a little obsessive with, you know, at least working out at that age and stage, right? So you have this wake up moment, but what'd you do about it? Like, it's hard to change, especially when you don't have a lot of help or other people on your team yet. Yeah, you know, I've learned that I'm much better at small shifts than big changes. And so I just started paying more attention to my body. And, and I was thinking about this, this this weekend, actually. So when I go out for a run, there's this point where I feel like, oh, I could go four more miles. And then three more miles in, I start to do the shuffle where my body is breaking down. And I've just had to continue to tell myself over and over that that's not good for your body. When you get to that point, you need to stop. Just walk. So it's like you had to actually bonk, you know, in a sense. Or Many push times. yourself yes. past the limit of healthy, you know, result in yeah. order to figure out what that limit is. Yeah, and I've had to learn that lesson quite a few times in my life. And does it apply to work as well? Definitely, yeah. Okay. And, and I mean, I think what's most applicable to this podcast, there's a couple more times that I learned that lesson. So graduated from college, uh, I got the opportunity to work with this fast-growing startup, which is where I fell in love with startups. It was called Exclusive Resorts. And I had been very active all through college you know I, I studied hard and but I could study and work when I wanted to and go for a run or a bike ride in the middle of the day and so I graduate from college and go to my first day of work and I was living in Boulder working in Denver I got in my car like the normal average American at 730 to get to work at 815 worked in an office with no windows all day and then drove home and cried the entire drive home. Wait, the first day? First day. It was the first time in my entire life that I had been indoors for nine hours. Wow. Yeah. And I just thought to myself, how do people do this? So you went back the second day? Yeah, I went back. And I just, you know, I've, I'm very determined and I had very high still do professional aspirations and i just convinced myself that i could will myself to be the normal worker and how'd that work out for you not so great i mean did so, you hit the wall at work well i tried all these things and one of my things was well if you wear yourself out physically before work then you'll be less restless during the day and so i'd wake up at four in the morning, go to master swim, go for a run, drive to work, be at work all day, and then still have some physical restlessness. So then I'd go for a walk or maybe like an easy bike ride or something. And then I'd get six hours of sleep. And basically, I never felt good physically because one, I was just tired all the time. And two, I had despite the fact that I was putting myself through that, I had more physical energy than I could find time to get rid of. That is so crazy. It's like, um, you know, I'm thinking of 
being a mom of a little kid and you're like, oh my gosh, the amount of energy is insane. And the whole like ADHD, you know, phenomenon that's really true. Did you feel like you had like hyperactive a little bit or were you just buzzing all the time? Maybe. I don't know. You know, I think part of it was I had gotten to the point in college that I was doing half Ironman distance races. And that's a lot of endurance training. So my body was just used to doing that. And going from that to nothing was really hard. I totally understand this. Um, You know, growing up a swimmer, if I didn't swim 4,000 yards, I may as well not even jump in the pool. It wasn't, it was like breathing. Like to swim 2,000, that wasn't worth the drive to the pool. Now it's totally different, but it takes your body time to readjust to a new level, right? Wow, that is so crazy. So how did you end up handling? Because you stayed with a company because you said that's what stoked your passion for startup life. Yeah, so I, you know, worked for a couple different companies and uh, my degree was in marketing. So they were all sort of marketing related jobs. And I kept trying the approach of just jamming as much fitness as into the day as I could within a normal work restraint. Um, So what happened is I maintained that for about five years and still did half Ironmans through that. And then my body just flat out broke. How, when did, and how, how and when did that happen? Well, it happened about five years later. So I guess I would have been 26 approximately. Mm -hmm. Um, And I got what was originally diagnosed as an SI joint injury. And it's funny because I was so unwilling to take time out of my workouts and out of my work to really take care of that injury that I still to this day, I'm not sure that that was actually the injury. But I couldn't run or bike for an entire year, which was brutal for me. But uh, I figured out one that I needed a lot more sleep than I was letting myself have. And then I figured out too that just running, biking and swimming and doing cardio stuff is not very good for your body. (laughs) And I actually, it's funny, so you know, through college, I lost about 30 pounds. I got part of the way there, but there was always 10 pounds that I could never shake. And that year that I had to stop doing that endurance training, I lost 10 pounds without even trying. Wow. Just because I was doing strength training. Wow. Okay. That's part of it. But sometimes I feel like there's this emotional part too. Yeah. Or it's like your body could finally catch up. The metabolism's still cranking. I mean, did you suffer from you know, I've had times in my life where I'm like, I think I've blown out my adrenals. I've just went, I've gone too hard too long. Boom. And I don't know, I never got a diagnosis on any of that, but it's that chronic exhaustion, mm-hmm. you know? Have you felt like you've uh, you've gone through the adrenal fatigue? Yeah, well, that's actually one of the things I wanted to talk about on this because, so that... I learned that lesson, kind of bounced back, and then um, I fell in love with strength training and decided that I would become a fitness instructor for that. But it was my kind of strength training. So I did it outdoors and integrated cardio and plyometric exercises and stuff so I could get most of what I needed for in one hour. 
Right. Perfect. Yes. And it served me really well in a lot of ways. But I taught class at 6.30 a.m. because that was the only time that I could get on the schedule and that worked with my work schedule. And sometimes, I was an entrepreneur at the time, you really shouldn't be waking up at 5.30 in the morning to do a 6.30 a.m. class. And I didn't have the luxury to sleep in every once in a while because I did that, those classes. And I still, I, I'm not sure where I fall on this, but I still prefer to skip sleep rather than exercise. Mm. And so I was getting an average of mm, five hours a night yeah, of sleep. For some, they, you know, studies kind of say for some people that might be fine. Yeah, not for me. Mm. So, so the sleep deprivation took its toll. Yeah. And I think also, you know, sometimes you just need to do something else than what you think you're the workout you think you're going to do. And when you have a class that you need to show up for, you don't have a choice. Right. So, uh, I did hit total adrenal failure and I'm still dealing with that. And, um, I am very curious how many people actually are experiencing that and don't know. So my body, my doctor thinks that my body stopped producing hormones about five years before I figured it out. Oh my gosh. Okay. So how can you explain like what hormones and what are the symptoms and all that stuff? Yeah. So I'm not a doctor, so I'm not going to go too deep into it, but I'll just kind of tell you what happened with me and, and few of the things that I learned. So your estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, and thyroid um, levels are all dependent on your adrenals that work together. And so if one of those goes out of balance, then the rest of them can go out of balance. And, And I'm not sure exactly what happened with me, but basically I went five years, I think, with really low levels of all those things. And I maybe even went longer than that, but I was on birth control, which a lot of women are. And so it helps regulate that stuff. Um, So I, you know, some of the symptoms are you can stop having periods, uh, you can have thinning hair, brittle nails, digestive health issues. That was, really my biggest struggle and I didn't slow down enough to get enough medical help to figure out the cause of it I just kind of thought I'd experiment you know through food intolerances and stuff like that so I had digestive health issues that got progressively worse for 10 years so really quick note on that like for anyone who's listening you know what kind of doctor do you go to for that Well, a lot of those things can be tested just with a typical um, test that you'd get in a normal physical. Oh, okay. Like a blood test. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I went to a a woman in Edwards, Colorado, Dr. Heidi Archer. She is part of this body logic conglomerate that is really focused on this kind of work. And she's been helpful to me. Cool. Um, again, not a doctor, but another thing that I've learned through meeting several, realizing that several of my friends had similar issues, there's also um, a lot of theories around the 
deficiency of iodine because so iodine is essential to everything but bromide which is now put into a lot of processed flour almost all processed flour um, and it's also in fire retardants so it's just really prevalent in our environment it inhibits our ability to process iodine and iodine is essential for thyroid function and then thyroid function is essential for hormone function um, so some people have had a lot of luck with uh, iodine treatment but but I would definitely recommend doing that with a medical professional because it can go really badly if you overdose on iodine so it sounds like there's a two-part issue here it's like you're doing too much or something yeah. in your lifestyle is no longer working because you've pushed yourself too hard. Yeah. Um, and then the other part is how do you rebalance your hormones and your essential nutrients? Right. So how did you do both of those things then? You worked with the body, uh, your doctor in Colorado from yep. Body Logic, and mm -hmm. she helped you with the balancing out of hormones and. Yeah. Yeah. Still a work in progress, but you know, all this stuff. So, so originally when I started having all these digestive health issues, I just wanted to believe that it was because of food intolerances or environmental factors. And so I tried all these self remedies to try to fix that. And really the true cause I think was that I was pushing myself too hard and putting too much pressure on my adrenals. So I've had to slow down um, and, but slow down in a way, I mean, I still do a lot more than the average person, I think, but slow down in a way that feels good to me, just mix it up a bit. So really the biggest, so first of all, the biggest shift that I've made is I've leaned into conscious leadership, which I mentioned before, which, which sounds counterintuitive, but so conscious leadership is becoming more self-aware and, and having a better understanding of the patterns of the people around you. And so through that, I really understood when I was starting to spiral into a destructive pattern. And I also s learned to really appreciate some of the things that I saw as weaknesses that were actually strengths in me. Interesting. Whoa. So give me some examples. Yeah. So um, I'm a, an Enneagram one. So there's this personality typing What's called the called? Enneagram. Enneagram. It's E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M. Got if it. If you check out Enneagram Institute, you can read all about that. There's t nine personality types. It's similar to something like the DISC assessment. Okay. But I think it's a lot more detailed. And to me, it just has been more helpful. So well, so I'm an... Do you recommend that everybody does yeah, that? Yeah, 100. It'll change your life. I need change to do your that. Life. You should Hold do on. It. Let me and Google. I'm Tim to do signing it. up right now. Tim needs to do it big time. Yep. <laughs> so I'm an Enneagram type one, which is the reformer. My gift is that I can see what perfection looks like. Oh. My challenge is that I am constantly in pursuit of that perfection. Oh. 
which as you might imagine can be self and relationship destructive wow so well wait can we talk about the word perfect yeah what's up with that word that's Ah, a scary word it's impossible it's not possible there is no perfection is there? right but you know going back to so what i've learned in conscious leadership is you also ask the opposite of your story so there's also a lot of good things that have come out of my pursuit of perfection so body image going back to that for a second yes perfect you know i perfect i hit (laughs) exercise bulimia because i was trying to get this perfect body but i got that in check and i i somehow just through all this journey figured out how to stay the weight that i wanted to be and how to get to a point where I felt really good about my body. And I was really thinking that I had shook off this body image thing. And then with this um, hormone imbalance stuff, you have to kind of do some trial and error to figure out how much you need to correct of each thing. And I started gaining weight because we were increasing my levels of estrogen and it really really bothered me really was hard and uh i really started thinking a lot about the body image stuff and no i don't like that i was obsessing about the two extra pounds that i had gained but at the same time the other day um i was at the colorado athletic club pool and there were these just perfect specimens of bodies probably, on the side of probably the pool. probably pro triathletes I'm pretty sure around. yes yes um and I was doing a water aerobics class which I'll get we may get to in a minute but isn't that for old ladies oh no definitely not <laughs> we'll come back to that but anyway I was kind of just feeling sluggish because I was just sort of lazy not really for any good reason and this woman standing on the extra on the side of the pool made me just move a little faster it's also a good mover for me it's a motivator it is yeah it is wow okay um so so you were so you're still going through this yeah still going through it and it is so is it emotional and physical yes and how did you slow down your lifestyle because you talked about slowing down as part of the magic formula to fix things yeah well so i just started thinking about what's the opposite of my story and asked the question how could i be as active as i wanted to be without sacrificing my professional aspirations and i tried a couple experiments so the first was i thought okay i do all these coffee meetings because uh, in my business it's accretive if i meet people who want to invest or mentor startups so i started asking them if they wanted to go on a hiking meeting instead of a coffee meeting hence how we Hello. met i was one of your guinea yes. pigs <laughs> yes and all of a sudden i could fit about uh 10 hours of hiking into my work week that's pretty awesome yeah um 
And a nice benefit was that I had much more authentic relationship with the people that I hiked with. It's true. You know, and, and not we're fortunate in Boulder that we can just go to a hiking trail pretty much from anywhere in town. But even just walking through a neighborhood gets people off their cell phone. It gets them moving, which inspires creativity and they enjoy it. So I would get twice as much time as somebody would give me for a coffee meeting and a hiking meeting. Oh, that's such a good point. Wow. And so you're being very efficient. Yes. And one thing I do find is that the only limiter in my mind is sometimes I don't remember all the important things we talked about. So how do you tackle that? <laughs> so sometimes I record myself. Mm-hmm. I have a recording app on my phone. Yep. Um, at the end of the meeting, I will stop and say, can we just take five minutes to make sure we have everything that we yeah. want to jot down? Um, and then sometimes I just take a pen and paper with me because it's easier to stop and write that than that on a phone. Yeah, no, perfect. You know, you do some writing too, and I've read some of your articles. And one of the things that you talk about is like trimming the fat, you know, or I, I call it cutting the junk miles. Yeah. Right? And I think that's kind of what you're talking about here is like, what can I cut out of my life to slow down, but not compromise on the things that are really important? Right. Right. I love that concept. We all have junk miles. We think we cut them and then we creep back in, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe you can talk a little bit about like, what else did you do to trim the fat? Yeah. So I, I just did a really honest assessment of what I was willing to give up. So some simple things like I had, you know, sometimes you have friendships that are built because of your circumstances. So I had some friendships that I really enjoyed and were meaningful at a certain point in my life. And then we lived an hour away from each other. Our lives sort of took different paths and it always felt like an obligation to spend time with each other. And I think in a lot of those cases, the other person feels that way too, but you're just too afraid to admit it. So I cut out some of that stuff. I stopped really spending time on social media. I mean, you can kill an hour so easily on social media. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, going back to really understanding my strengths and increasing my self-awareness, I started asking myself, okay, you know, when do I feel like I'm on fire, that I'm just doing something so much better than anyone in the world? <laughs> And I tried to reorganize my life to spend 80% of my time on that stuff and then outsource the rest. Oh, I love that. And you know what else that's making me think of is something I read about you, which is basically you learned your natural circadian rhythm. Yeah. And it's a, it, that's a, a serious, like, that's the magic pill when you can finally figure out when you perform best in a 24-hour cycle and then yeah. actually do it. Yeah. And yours so, is a little wacky. Mine's very wacky. I <laughs> You got to share this. So it depends on the time of year, but um, I really love to ski. That's actually my favorite thing. Besides my work, because that is my favorite thing, my favorite active activity is to ski. And I figured out that if I 
ski and then come home and work, I'm just brain dead. My best brain power is in the morning. So during ski season, I wake up between 2.30 and 3.30 in the morning, work for a few hours, go ski, go to bed between sometimes as early as 5.30. Yeah, 5.30 and 8.30 or so. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So I feel like that's a little bit of um, a luxury. You know, like you're also married. I mean, yeah. was your husband appreciating this circadian rhythm you were following? Yeah. yeah, no, good question. Well, you know, you started this talking about how people say, well, I can't do that. Right, that's true. So I had the assumption that I couldn't do that. One, I'm married. Uh, I'll come back to that. And two, you know, I have business partners and mm-hmm. just started asking them, you know, what if we did this? Could we just try this for a while? How would that right. work out? And I'm really fortunate that my business partners are also really dedicated to this work in conscious leadership, which is basically how do you create a spacious self place for yourself and life? Um, and so I, instead of asking what I was giving up, I asked, what am I gaining by doing this? Oh, I love that. So going back to waking up in the morning. So uh, in that, it means that I'm giving up happy hours because I'm exhausted by then. It means that I'm giving up late night parties. Again, exhausted. Um, And I wasn't willing to give that up hundred percent so so my husband and I go to dinner go out to dinner at least twice a week mostly three times a week and those are the the nights when I let myself sleep in the next morning and I just sleeping in mean like five or six six thirty yeah yeah okay yeah totally yeah that's not bad no not too bad <laughs> um and I had a lot of guilt in that because we used to spend more time together and I'd, you know, go to friends' parties and things like that. And again, I started asking myself, well, what am am I gaining? And figured out that I could create really authentic relationships with people by hiking with them at nine in the morning instead of going to their house for dinner at nine at night. True. And, and drinking too much and eating pizza, the things that brought you all that despair at college. Yeah. Yes. Um, also a lot of fun, though, I will say. No, that's I, true. I don't regret that for a second. It was it was fun. Oh, there's <laughs> and there's so much here in what we're talking about. Um, I've had a guest on the show. Her name's Susie Reinhardt. She's an amazing woman. She's not too many episodes ago, maybe 20. Um, and she had a rare tumor on the back of her, like her brainstem. It was wrapped yeah. around her brainstem. And... Um, she went through, uh, she actually had it removed and there was a very good chance that she would die or have, you know, be very disabled for the rest of her life. Um, and she didn't, Mm -hmm. she's got physical limitations now, but she's amazing. And what it did was it, it created this new perspective for her on life. And she started to ask herself, like, do I really want to be here? And it really, it just sounds so much like the questions you were asking yourself, like, what am I really gaining from doing this? Like, you may decide to go out to dinner, but partway through, you're like, I'm gaining nothing. I'm just going to leave. 
you know, and if you can, if you can have that much self-awareness and take yourself out of a situation gracefully, it doesn't hurt anybody yeah. and it only makes you better for it. Mm-hmm. I think people need to be more empowered to do that stuff. hundred percent. And I also had the story that I was going to become this self-absorbed person if I had this rigid routine that worked for me that doesn't work for the average human. And I started really questioning that and thought about, okay, you know, what is my best self that I can bring to the world? And I had this really fortuitous experience. So uh, we at Merge Lane run this thing called a fundurator. Mm-hmm. So when we're seriously considering a company or a venture capital fund for investment, we invite them into Boulder to spend a week with us. And we do three days of really deep work and conscious leadership, and then a few days of meetings with our mentor network. We have about 300 people, people like Nicole, who are amazing people, (laughs) who dedicate their time to helping women-led startups and venture capital funds. Um, so, So we bring them into Boulder. It's our biggest week of the year. So last year, we spend months preparing for this, recruit these companies, we start it. My business partner, Sue Heilbrunner, is an incredible facilitator. She's a former federal prosecutor. It's really her gift. And so she facilitates most of the things during that week. And on the first day, she started getting a really bad headache and uh, ended up in the hospital for the whole rest of the week. She had a very serious condition that um, we think is fine and, and we're so grateful for that, but it put her out of commission for an entire week and we didn't know if she was gonna be okay. Like did she her body just start shutting down? Yeah, so you know, honestly, I, I'm worried about uh, miss explaining it, it. yeah <laughs> uh, she's she's very open and uh-huh. her name's sue halbrenner she writes a lot so you can google her um and see what she has said about the experience but but the the night before my husband and i went to out to dinner and we do this thing called the chat pack when we run out of things to talk about it's mm-hmm. a it's a pack of questions and there were two questions one was what would you do differently if you could shed the fear of being judged. Wow, these are like big questions, yeah. not like what do you want for breakfast tomorrow? Right, big <laughs> questions. Heard the biggies. big questions. Wait, just you and Derek yeah. alone. Okay. Uh-huh. Wow. And then the second question was, what would you do differently if you had 6 months to live? Got it. And then my business partner ended up in the hospital for the week the day after. And that week I had the opportunity to show the companies that we had brought in who I would be if I could shed the fear of being judged because my business partner is very supportive of me and um, she's always giving me space to be me but she's so good at facilitating so good I mean like in the top one percent of the world good and so I always kind of take a back seat because I know she's so good at it. So that was 
a very scary week and and I'm so grateful that she made it through but she really gave me a gift that week that she allowed me to really be me and the thing that I learned in that is that my journey and figuring out how to be as active as I want to be is so helpful to the entrepreneurs that we work with and to a lot of people in this world because most people struggle with that absolutely we think we have to give something up and we always make it something really important to us so that we can do something else for others. It's like, it just happens all the time. Yeah. Wow. So Sue's okay. Sue's okay. Yeah. I got to have her on the podcast sometime. You do. I love Sue. I've been on your guys' podcast. Yeah. Real Leaders. Yeah. She's amazing. Um, so, so that's a big wake up call though. Not only is a normally seemingly healthy woman who's a very close friend of yours and a you know, mentor in her own right for you comes to a near death experience, right? But, um, but you were able to grow through it. Yeah. You know, this is interesting. Um, I learned about a concept recently called post-traumatic growth. It's that when you go through trauma, you do, you come out the other side if you survive the trauma and then there's really no place to go but grow. Mm -hmm. How crazy is that? Oh, well, you know, when we invest in entrepreneurs, we're often the most intrigued by people who have gone through terrible things in life and figured out how to rise above it. Yes. Oh my gosh, that's got to make you such a great investor because you're also looking at the human side. Yeah. Wow, okay. So this is, I mean, there's just so much here. I actually wanted to, I wanted to ask you a little bit about what success means to you. Hmm. Because, you know, we have, we've talked a little bit about Merge Lane here and there. I mean, this is a serious big deal. You are a high-powered woman in a primarily man's world doing really cool, innovative stuff. You're empowering other women to become incredible leaders, but you're also on your own self-growth journey at the same time. And you said that in your Enneagram, your gift is you can see per- perfection and your challenge is that you're always chasing it, right? Mm-hmm. And I... I don't know is I think about this concept of like we define ourselves often by whether or not we're going to be successful. And this is a tough thing too because you're inter- or you're inter- you're you're investing in in companies where their goal is to be successful. And they want to be successful for a variety of reasons and now for you too. And so what does that mean though? What does success really mean in the end? Yeah, it's a great question. Well, so as Nicole said, you know, we invest in, in women. And Sue, my partner that I was just mentioning, she came to me about five years ago with this idea to have this venture capital fund to invest in women. And I originally told her that I had absolutely no interest in doing that because I had never felt limited by my gender. I wasn't sure that I wanted to focus my investments only on women. And perhaps most importantly, I was worried about the concept that women needed to be empowered. Because for me, being a woman has been more of an advantage than a detriment. And I'm always sort of worried that if we create things to quote unquote empower women, that it gives them the message that they need to be empowered. But what do you mean that um, it's always felt like an advantage rather than a detriment to you? Well, so, 
I have always sort of been the the girl among the guys. Interesting. So I love to ski and mostly ski with men. Um, and they remember who I am because I'm the only girl. And then I became an entrepreneur and I was one of the only women and people remembered me or they're really curious who is that person over there. And it's just worked to my advantage. You know, I, I've had some terrible experiences with, I went through some really terrible sexual, sexual harassment when I was about 16 that I would never wish upon anyone. Um, but that's been the minority rather than the majority of my experience. You know, it's that's interesting because a lot of times I get asked about, you know, where I've been discriminated against as a woman in business too. And I don't have those stories either. Hmm. But I will tell you, I was talking to someone recently and you may have experienced what I'm about to say. And it was a guy, funnily enough. And he said, well, I wonder if it's because you have experienced athlete privilege. Hmm. You know how you know, this idea of having a privilege because of something about your background um, is pretty prevalent right now. People talk about it all the time and I'd never thought about athlete privilege. Hmm. But the idea of privilege, I guess, is that when people see you or hear of you, they automatically make assumptions based on what you've done. Hmm. And being an athlete, I've always had a high level of outward facing confidence. And confidence just may be the key to having people respect you right off the bat as well. So it's yeah. kind of interesting. I don't know. Yeah, there could be something to that. You know, let's, my, make, a, let's make a 16th commitment. You know, <laughs> Maintain physical fitness to gain your confidence. Conscious leadership, number 16. I like it. Or maybe not. Well, <laughs> I'm just thinking as you're saying this, you know, my, my mother's number one goal in raising me was to have a daughter who would have a good self-image. Mm. And I've always had this confidence that really has enabled me to just fit in in places where I shouldn't have fit in. So how did she do that for you? Oh, gosh. Well, first of all, you know, I, I sometimes say that my my biggest challenge is that I haven't had any significant challenges in my life. I had a very picket fence childhood. My parents are wonderful parents. Um, but, but my mom from a very young age would just always compliment me in a very authentic way. Not just like, Oh, good job. She would say, Oh, you did a really nice job here. And, and I kind of, attribute that actually to my desire to keep doing more because I always knew my mom would compliment me. And so I wanted to get compliments from people that were above and beyond my mom. Um, Cause it but, makes you feel good. Yeah. 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 And I think she, she also showed by example, you know, she has a good self image and is confident and strong and, has always had this pursuit of excellence. She's per had this pursuit of excellence as a mother. Um, 
and she's an artist and has that same drive for excellence. Oh, that's tough because art is an area where you you can never be done. You no. have to just know. Yeah. Wow. You know, let's talk about motherhood for a yeah. minute then. So I'm notorious for just asking people all kinds of questions that are often inappropriate. And I'll be like, so when, are you guys ever going to have kids? You know, and I remember... So Tim and I did not want to have kids forever because we were just living this incredible like travel the world triathlon lifestyle and we just couldn't see it. And I've, I've said this before, but I mean, every time we would be having a discussion about whether kids might be on the table, there'd be like a screaming toddler with a double barrel boogers coming out both sides and parents who looked completely disheveled and like they wanted to kill each other and I was like that's what kids do <laughs> keep them away from us but you know we changed our minds at some point and we ended up getting pregnant when I was close to 40 but you have made the decision that you don't want to have children so yeah there's a couple questions around that like is it do you find that question awkward or are you annoyed when people ask and you know why did you make it just out of curiosity because it sounds like your mother your parents were an incredible influence in your life and often when you do have a really positive parenting it's it just seems like the natural thing that you're going to give that same gift to someone else yeah so i actually love it when people ask me the question because I sometimes feel that people are hesitant to ask, but they really want to know. Well, yeah, because it feels awkward. It, yeah, it's, it does. And, you know, for me, it's been such a journey and I want to share what I learned in that. You know why? Wait, let me just say, it feels like judgy. Like if you have a bunch of kids and you ask someone and they say no, then they feel like there's this like little judgment thing that might happen because people who have kids always go, it's the best thing you'll ever do. But then the minute you have a kid, they're like, good luck having, raising that thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like it's, it, it, there's an element of both. And so if you say no, then they're like, oh, well, I, it, it's not gonna be the best thing, you, you know, like, I don't know. I feel like there's a judgment piece tied up in not wanting to have children. Yeah. Well, so I had a judgment piece around it for myself. So, oh, yeah. Okay. So I, I just always assumed that I'd have children. I didn't really know anybody that didn't have children. Very few people. I had one, one or two people in my life that didn't. So I just thought that that light bulb would go off and uh, I started my first business when I was 24, left that business when I was 29. I had been married four years and I like to, you know, do things like the life plan way. So I thought, oh, this is the perfect time. I, I should get pregnant. And I was hesitant to marry my husband because he wasn't sure that he wanted to have kids. Wait, I thought you guys took forever to get married. We did. We did. Wait, because yeah. you met when you were really young. Yeah, I was 21. Oh, yeah. Okay. I, I was 20. <laughs> or was I? Tw yeah, I was. I had just turned 21. And then my husband was nine years older. Um, and it just kind of it was I was thinking today and reflecting on this that the the decisions that seemed so unconventional and that I was most afraid to make 
were, have been the best decisions. That's a good example. You know, he's nine years older than me. I was in college at the time. He was 30. There's a big difference there. And I, he had, he's had gray hair since he was 19. So he had gray hair. Like, how am I going to be interested in this guy? And 15 years later, we're still together. But, (laughs) but anyhow, he is pretty awesome. He is. He is. And it was (laughs) one of the best decisions of my life. But, he didn't know if he wanted to have kids. And I just assumed that light bulb would eventually go off. I got married when I was 26. And uh, when I was 29, thought, great, uh, let's do this. And I had spent basically five years talking Derek into wanting to have children. And he had kind of gotten there. Oh. So we tried, didn't happen naturally. We tried a little bit of um, just injections, a little bit of fertility treatment, and I started to realize that every time it didn't happen, that I had this overwhelming sense of relief. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so I started to sit with that and finally figured out that it just wasn't right. It just wasn't for me. And I got the courage to tell Derek which honestly didn't go that well. I mean, those are I, hard conversations. Oof, really hard. Really hard. Didn't go that well. Um, Did you guys consider breaking up at that yeah, point? Yeah. We, we had some very tough conversations. And I said, you know, I don't blame you if you want to leave. This is a big deal. And I still say that. And, you know, to be completely honest, I, I still wonder if he's going to regret it. It's a big thing but I feel so sure that it's not for me. And it's so crazy because you talked him into feeling that he wanted it for him. Right. And then you did the bait and switch. Yeah. (laughs) Terrible. I mean, that's, but that is amazing that you can share that. Mm. I mean, that those are, that's one of the deepest, darkest, hardest places to have to go. Oh, wow. Mm. And you guys have made it through. Good. Made it well, through. Strong now. Yeah. So so when people ask you and you, like, how do you respond? I say, no, I've just figured out that it's not my calling. But I, but I think the thing that I most want to share is that I was so afraid of doing that because I thought I would become this self, self-absorbed person and that I would be perceived as selfish. And I was listening to this book with, uh, written by Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote mm. Eat, Pray, Love. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she was talking about her decision of whether to have children. And it just never felt like it was her calling, but she felt like she was going to be selfish if she didn't have kids. And she started to read all these stories about women who decided not to have children and therefore had a little bit of extra bandwidth to do something amazing in the world. Wow, that is such a great point. And you need to follow that path to perfection because <laughs> you're doing it. I mean, you really are. You're touching so many things that are turning to gold. And I will say like, you know, after having a kid, there's a part of my brain I don't even think I tap into anymore. It's just like gone, right? And I'll never work the same again. And and even if I figure out my circadian rhythm and could figure out when I'm most, you know, productive. I don't think I could do it right now. And maybe mm-hmm. I could when my kid's older, but there it's it's not selfish to not want to be able to pursue those things yeah. that you can keep 
giving your best gift to the world? Well, and going back to, you know, what you're really born to do. So my mother was put on this planet to be a mother. I'm convinced of that. She lights up. My grandmother uh, had, she died of Alzheimer's and she was also put on this planet to be a mother. And even in the throes of Alzheimer's, when she had no idea what her name was, if a baby was brought into the room, her eyes would light up. Yeah. Just born to be a mother. My mm-hmm. sister-in-law the same way. And, you know, as part of this journey in investing in women, I have the opportunity to see people who are just doing what they were put on this planet to do. And it just has reinforced my decision that I was not put on this planet to be a mother. And I love that. Gosh. Well, let's, um, we, we've been going for like an hour and it's a perfect place to like end on a note of, you know, happiness and self-love. And also I'm going to bring it back to Greenland because first of all, doesn't it look like green out there? Not just cause it's green from the rain, but like that tornado green that we used to get in the Midwest growing up. Yes. Like our weather is wacky, really wacky. So again, we're not global warming specialist but if they hurt people might have heard some thunder and rumbling and it might have been my stomach because i think it was making some noise but it might have been all that thunder we just sat through this like incredible storm while we had this awesome conversation so let's leave our listeners with one final piece of advice one nugget to help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way what would yours be well before we do that can i answer one of your questions that i didn't answer absolutely So you asked me, what does success look like? And I really want to prove that investing in women is not a charitable thing, that it makes really good business sense. And I want to just kill our competition and just make our investors all sorts of money and doing that. Yes. (laughs) I want you to. (laughs) And I I support this. (laughs) And I want to do that while maintaining a life that is healthy and supportive of my authentic self. Yes. And that could be our final nugget. I mean, you're Uh, doing it. So my final nugget is that you should ask yourself three questions every day. What would you do differently if you could shed the fear of being judged? What would you do differently if you only had three years to live? I say three years instead of six months because six months is like burn all your money, et cetera. Three years. Okay. And then the last one is when things seem hard, ask yourself, what would this look like if it were easy? And what can I do differently to make it that way? Oh, I love this. Wow. And we didn't even really talk about skiing enough. We didn't. But that's going to be a whole nother episode. This was so cool. I really appreciate you so much. Thank you for Uh, coming over and sharing all this like honest, beautiful insight. mm. So I ran your skirt sports race a couple weeks ago. You were there. Did I I see you there? I you seemed just totally in a daze because there were so many people. (laughs) So we did hug very briefly. Jeez. (laughs) Oh my gosh. But. There was a sign on the race that said, be strong. You never know who you're inspiring. And I've thought about that so many times. And I just have to say that I was so excited to be here today because this is what I listen to when I'm just feeling at my lowest of low. 
So thank you for being here. You are going to listen to your own voice now. The lowest of low. (laughs) Thank you so much. Uh, Great day. Great day. All right. I'm back. What an incredible interview with an incredible woman. I appreciate Elizabeth for so many reasons. She's just an open book. You know, we talk about some really difficult topics and she shares freely with one goal to help you. She spent so much time trying to figure all this out that she really wants to give back to help others. Um, Elizabeth is smart. She's hardworking. She's driven. She's also caring and compassionate. And as she mentions with the Enneagram test, she's also a perfectionist who must balance her pursuit of perfection with the natural messiness of life. That is a tough thing. So I headed over to the Enneagram website to see what type I am because the truth is, the more we can understand ourselves, the more we can help ourselves. So anyway, I'm still trying to figure out what type I am. I might be type seven. I forget what it's called, but I might be a seven. I gotta go back and look. Um, You'll have to check it out. And let me know if if yours is obvious. I mean, why not? Go ahead and post. I'd love to see it. If you share this episode, post your Enneagram result. Um, Because in the end, we're all seeking a life that allows us to live to our fullest. And Elizabeth has cracked the code in a sense. You know, it's what we all really hope for. And I guess in the end, I really hope that you got something from this episode that will help you run your world in a bigger and better way. That's why this podcast exists. All right, then, everybody, that's it for now. You know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. Have a great workout, and I'll see you next week.